Brian and I would like to issue a trigger warning for this week's episode. We'll be talking heavily about two films that involve extreme violence, specifically against women. We in no way condone these actions. The themes of this week's episode are about actions and their respective consequences. We'll be talking about 2005's Hard Candy and 2020's Promising Young Woman. Thank you for joining us for the Crossroads podcast. This week we'll be looking at the 2020 film Promising Young Woman and the 2005 film Hard Candy, which both show women getting revenge on complete asshole men, basically. <laughs> they're, uh, they're terrible people, and I'm sorry for laughing, but... There's not going to be too much to joke about in this this episode. It's going to be a pretty heavy one. So we got to get it out now. we got to get it out now. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Ryan. And I'm your other host, Rob. And uh, going into this, I just want to note that we are two white dudes. You know, it's, I think what we're going to say, we're going to say with the best of intentions, but there's things we're probably going to miss or get wrong, and we're definitely open to having a discussion. So, you know. Yeah, feel free to... Feel free to drop a comment on any wow. thoughts and concerns, and we will do our best to get back to you. So do you want to start with Hard Candy, Rob? Of course. It's the older of the two films, which you yeah. know I like to start with. Yes. Um, do you want to introduce this? Yeah. Uh, Hard Candy is a very small, independent film that came out pretty quietly in 20, or 2005, it, uh, it stars a pre-transition Elliot Page and also Patrick Wilson as basically the only two characters you see throughout the entire film. Sandra Oh has a cameo, that's about it. Yeah, she's on screen for probably three minutes. Yeah, if that. Uh, it's directed by David Slade, written by Brian Nelson, and was shot for less than a million dollars, which is, you know, very, very rare in the, uh, in the actual film, even in the independent film. You know, we've been saying that every week for the last couple of weeks, so <laughs> our, our listeners are going to think that it's not that rare, but no, in the grand scheme of things, it's it's extremely rare. We yeah. just like really low-budget films. Yeah, it, you can get away with a lot more in lower-budget films because no one's really like holding you down to make something really commercial, and this film is not commercial. Not at all. This, this goes, especially for 2005, this goes very against the typical thriller that was out yeah. at the time yeah so basically the a plot overview is that Haley, played by a pre-transition elliot page formerly sort of, known as ellen page, page who you might know um, from juno yeah so if we say that name by accident it's not intentional just that you know someone who has been, been famous is probably more likely to get dead named than uh than someone you've known personally for a long time but uh but he she at the time, and he now plays a character named Haley, who's uh, basically tra- kidnaps, not kidnaps, but sort of uh, coerces a much older man to back to his house. And then she tortures him, basically. He, oh, yeah. We never know exactly what he did. It's heavily, it's hinted heavily implied. At, yeah, it's hinted he, at throughout the film, but we never know exactly what it is. Yeah. But, but he probably um, abused much younger women around Haley's age. And it's yes, and pretty she, uh, brutal. She is, I think she states 14. And 
Patrick Wilson's character Jeff is at least thirty. Yeah, he's in his thirties. She she is fourteen. Uh, I'm I'm going to use she to refer to the character because the character is is female. Although in this viewing, I've seen this movie a couple times. This viewing, I went into it trying to sort of read it like it was also the character was also a either trans man or even cisgendered man, and it, it worked pretty well. Honestly, it's good in hindsight knowing that the script is pretty. Um, what's the word yeah. I'm looking for? Accessible that way. Yeah. Well, the character also is very unwell in a lot of respects, oh, yeah. and even though probably the better of the two people is still awful, really enjoying torturing this guy. So, basically, the motivation for Haley's. Haley's arc in this film is something happened to her friend. Yeah. We don't entirely know what, but she she goes on a hunt and boils it down to this man, Jeff, who came, must have kidnapped her, murdered her, other things that I don't really want to get into. And she finds him in a ch- internet chat room, convinces him to bring her, to pick her up at a coffee shop and have a good time yeah the the, one of the things that struck me about this is how a lot of the technology has aged to the point where some plot points and references came across as really silly but the fact that this is still going on hasn't really changed and that's pretty horrifying yeah the the only thing that didn't really stand the test of time was the use of chat rooms and the flip phones yeah. and very small, minor technology things. Yeah, I mean, at one point, Haley makes a reference to Amazon as if it's like some small website that you know not a whole lot of people know about, as opposed to this huge Goliath thing. Yeah, you know? and that's kind of weird. I got a little chuckle out of that. Yeah, that was probably the thing that was a little, the weirdest. But yeah, but the fact that that has changed way faster than this sort of abuse is really yeah. just not not a good sign for for us as a, as a society all right let's move let's talk about some uh some uplifting things about this film yeah. um some things that i thought were done extremely well was the color correcting and color grading yeah because almost every time you see elliot page on screen um she at the time is backdropped in red Mm-hmm. And you don't really notice it at first because it's just on the hoodie. But as you get into Jeff's, uh, played by Patrick Wilson's house, he he's a photographer. So he has these rooms set up with various different colors and sceneries. And almost every time they shoot Elliot Page, the backdrop is red. And it's a very subtle yet striking character thing. Because yeah. she is, by all means, the predator in this film. Yes, and what I like is in the beginning, it's the red especially, but all the colors really pop. And Mm -hmm. as the film gets on, the the colors start draining away, and the red becomes almost this like dried blood color. It's it's bordering on maroon. It's been so darkened, and it yeah, the film it the color drains as the story gets darker. You start getting more blues and grays, and. and Patrick Wilson, the... he's always shot on like a pinkish. So it's kind of hard to tell. If you're going based on color, it's hard to tell who is the real villain here. This was apparently shot in the director's own house just so they could save money on a location. And oh, wow. I wonder if it was already like this or the art department 
maybe one or two people who knows how small it was painted it or what because it it's a wild place to live that's a beautiful house too so kudos to <laughs> kudos yeah. to david slade yeah music video director you know you, you make decent money true hasn't really gone on to do too much since i mean he, he did a couple did a couple big budget movies and then mostly uh tv from then on although he did direct the the bandersnatch that choose your own adventure stream or um the black, black mirror, mirror episode thing? yeah the black mirror um choose your own yeah adventure. i keep wanting to call it uh stranger <laughs> things different thing entirely oh but. yeah but he also did five episodes of hannibal which that show gets dark too so clearly he um some of his inspiration for Hard Candy went into that. Yeah. Yeah. Some really messed up stuff. Uh, there's... This movie is kind of hard to talk about because it it's largely dialogue-based, even though so much of it is just about tension. Yeah, but then you hit the 45-minute mark and there's torture, mm-hmm. there's violence, uh yeah. Full blown mid two thousand shaky cam. <laughs> yeah, this is very. This is a very two thousand five movie. Oh yeah, yeah. In terms um, of references, in terms of how it's how it's shot. Yeah, all you need is some disturbed playing in the background, and you have it. <laughs> you have it. Yeah, I don't think there's any licensed music. There's there is some score, but it's pretty. You know, it's subtle. It's subdued. Yeah. yeah. Overall. Overall, it's a very solid movie. It's dark. Um, it is very dialogue-driven, so you do have to pay attention to it. It's not something you can just throw on in the background and kind of tune out to. It's not that type of violence. It's yeah. It's very personal. Yes, there's there's some threatening with a gun, but there's not really like you know typical gun fare. Yeah. In, in the movie. And even the the actual violence is largely off-screen or mm-hmm. implied and. Or it's uh, out of focus. Yeah. The focus comes into play with this way more than you'd expect in mm-hmm. a, in like a, an actual movie. And the, whoever was doing our focus pulling is really, really good at their job. Because there's an incredible amount of control of depth of field, even in a small enclosed space that continues to feel smaller as it goes. Mm-hmm. And um, during the big set piece, which I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. The, um, it's someone, I don't want to spoil anything, it's someone strapped to a table while the other person operates on them. And it's a very static scene, but the camera just keeps moving. And and it, it the tension is extremely high, and you only see what the director wants you to see. Yeah. And it's one of the most intense scenes I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, it's This could almost be a play if the camera wasn't, basically the third character the the camera does so much with to allow for the tension just to have really interesting shots even static shots that just feel really interesting Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of use of depth of field a lot of foreshortening or uh, shooting in a way to make one character look bigger or smaller i mean elliot page is not exactly known for being a behemoth meanwhile uh patrick wilson's a a pretty big dude you know he kind of looks like a like a sword fighter or yeah. he's pretty pretty and built he's even, su- even before the plot really gets going when the two characters meet there's a lot of use of dutch angles which mm-hmm. which for our listeners it's kind of like when the camera is off center to appear on a slant 
And it's done in a way to make Elliot Page seem much larger than Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Even though I think it's probably about a foot of height difference. Oh, yeah. And Elliot Page is tiny. Yeah. Patrick Wilson at the time, too, I think had just come off of Phantom of the Opera. He just come off of uh, doing uh, Oklahoma on Broadway. So he's not, you know, built like a tank, but he's pretty muscular. Yeah. And it, you know, it's fit, I think, would be a way to describe it. And he's just, you know, not not scary, but definitely would win in a in a fair fight. Oh, for sure. And the fact that uh, Haley is able to take advantage to that point and and win in a lot of respects, I think, is just to show how clever the character is. Yeah. Her- Haley as a character is very meticulous, very planned. Yeah. She planned and accounted for everything that Jeff thought to do. Yeah. And that just shows the dedication she has to avenging her friend. Yes. And I think that's probably the best tradition we could hope for to, uh, to talk about promising young woman, because I think that's also a very accurate description of the main character from mm-hmm. that film, uh, whose name I cannot recall. Uh, the character is, uh, is Cass or Cassie, Cassie played by Carrie Mulligan. So do you want to pivot over? Yeah, yeah, that that's a good spot to pivot over. Yeah. Um, we'll wrap up our hard candy thoughts at the end. They do have a, a lot of overlap in tone, more so than I have remembered. Yeah, these plots are extremely similar. Though Promising Young Woman, I thought, was done in a much more fun way. Yeah, it's a little sillier. There's more... It, it, it's, it's happy. Not necessarily happier, but it's definitely more vibrant. And not even just in the color, just the world is more more constructed. It feels more like a traditional movie in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, let's give a quick little uh, recap on this. Yeah. Um, Promising Young Woman is came out last year. It premiered at the Sundance Film Festival before uh, the COVID hit and wasn't able to make its rounds as they were clearly hoping to. But uh, it's... It's kind of quietly made the rounds, I think, because it had been so heavily advertised a year or more ago. And uh, we can discuss that as well. I think the advertising may have done the film a bit of a disservice. I didn't see the trailer at all, actually. I went into this knowing the bare minimum. So I didn't realize how stylized it was going to be or how vibrant the colors were going to be. So that was a pleasant surprise on my end. The uh, the film, I remember seeing trailers where it was heavily implied that Cass was taking these guys home to kill them. Mm-hmm. And and you kind of you kind of get that in the opening scene, because yeah. I thought that was the plot, too. Yeah, and at first I was disappointed that that wasn't the plot, because that seems like a pretty clever horror concept. It's been done a lot. Yeah, but once we got into it, once the movie started going, I'm like, oh, this is actually way better than I was expecting it to be. This is really well handled and and very clever yes um the casting in this movie is incredible a lot of uh names of actors i haven't seen in quite some time like bo burnham is the the male lead and he's mainly known for his comedic music so and i thought he did a pretty good job in this movie actually yeah he's got a difficult line to walk because he has to kind of be the the comic relief but also be a a love interest and yes. have some dramatic scenes, but he's probably the 
the most upbeat character. For sure. The yeah. movie has a very somber overtone. It does. But, but it's like every city USA. Like it, yeah. It's a very recognizable town. And everyone's just going about their daily lives. But we focus so much on Carrie Mulligan's character that everything seems filled with dread. Yeah. What's interesting, too, is this movie is less than 10 minutes longer than uh, than Hard Candy. But it feels like it takes up so much more time. Like, mm-hmm. it, not that, but runs over so much more time it feels like hard candy is largely real time yeah with it's not one shot or anything but it feels like a like it's occurring all at the same in the same period of time whereas this feels like it's taking place over the course of weeks uh part of that has to be the single location for hard candy and the fact that it does take place in an afternoon where promising young woman i think is what two weeks time period maybe a week it's some amount of time. It's a little ambiguous because there is some amount of traveling that happens a little okay. bit here and there uh, just to get around to certain places. And I, I, Cassie has like a regular job she has to go to that, uh, that ice cream shop or the coffee shop. Coffee shop. Yeah, it looks like an ice cream shop to me. So I kept yeah. thinking it was one. But yeah, coffee shop. Um, and Laverne Cox was her was her boss, which was you know interesting casting choice to get you know, someone well-known mm-hmm. as being trans and then basically doing nothing with that, like basically giving them just the flattest character in the world to play. Yeah, she... Because she, she seemed very, I guess, bored. Yeah. But um, Laverne was bringing her... Um, what do I want to say? Her charisma to the role, but there's not much there you can do with that. She literally just plays the manager of a coffee shop. Yeah, there's, there's not. Basically, she's just you know, she's Cass's friend who also employs her, and that's about the yeah. And, and we, we never see her outside of the coffee shop. Yes, to be fair, not the only character like that. Uh, her uh, Cass's parents are in the film, and they are basically the same sort of thing. Like they're just sort of there because she has to have parents. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Clancy Brown, who I've been calling Clanky Brown because why not? <laughs> Clanky um, Brown, as uh, as her dad, because he's mostly known for either being completely over the top comedic or like just really scary horror villains. Yeah, and to see him just play this genuinely nice guy who doesn't really he doesn't really him. do much either. Yeah, he just is the concerned father. Yeah, people but, probably know him as uh, as Mister Crab, or they know him mm-hmm. from the second. Pet Cemetery, or they know him from uh, Shawshank Redemption, but he's he's usually just like a scary dude. Yeah, and here he's just you know kind of a nice guy who's a little out of his depth, doesn't really know how to take care of his daughter because she's clearly gone through some stuff. And then on the opposite side, we have Christopher Mince Pliace, who you guys will know as McLovin from Superbad. <laughs> uh, you know him, kind of nerdy dude, um, playing totally against type here, and. I feel like he's just reading lines. Like it, it's yeah. nice to see him because I I like that actor, but yeah. he doesn't really do anything. The casting is great, but the the actors don't get what they should with the script. Yeah, I feel like some of them are really really good. Uh, Bo Burnham is really good. Obviously, uh, Carrie Mulligan is incredible and has a real shot at winning the Oscar. I think she's my favorite. Uh, for for uh, best actress, yeah, I agree. I really want her to win, and I really want this to win best picture. It would be great. Uh, I mean, Connie Britton as well is in one scene, but is really holding her own, and she's kind of hit or miss for me. So to have her just really 
be great. It's also Alfred Molina and a similar thing. He's only in one scene, but he's phenomenal because it's Alfred Molina. And, yeah. you know, watching him do anything is like an acting class. Yeah, a uh, lot of these characters are very, like, one-night standy, which is a, yeah. a plot point in the film, so it makes sense. But yeah. I think... The each I think this movie would have been slightly better if they wrote those one note characters for the actor who was cast. Yes, and I think having because he was from Rince Plass does have a sort of a character. He he plays you know he was in uh, Superbad and then he mm-hmm. was also in the Kickass movies and he has kind of a comic persona. So to play into that might have been a little bit better and maybe he just doesn't want to do that anymore. Who knows? Yeah. Like his, he wasn't necessarily bad, but his character just didn't feel like it didn't feel genuine. Yes, he felt like he was just here for a paycheck, and it's kind of a shame in a movie that's as important as this one is. Yeah, and one thing I do also want to discuss is this is the kind of film you have to take seriously, but not necessarily literally. Yes, uh, it's it's a heightened reality. There are some things that happen that I don't think would actually happen in the real world. Yeah, as it goes on, it gets a little, slightly more unbelievable, but still in the realm of realism. Yes. And I personally like that. I like my movies to not feel real. It, the end, I don't want to get into spoilers because this is a new film. I think people should really go in yeah. as little as possible. Yeah, and the, the ending end, is the most important part. The ending seems Story very wise. divisive. Story, yeah. uh, I personally did not care for it very much, but I've talked to a couple people who really like it, yourself included. Me included. Yeah, and uh, some people really, really like the ending, and I, I felt a little frustrated by it. Maybe I'll have to watch it again to uh, yeah. really appreciate it. But I it's, was... it's definitely not what I was expecting, and that's why I like it. Because normally, like a lot of writers nowadays, specifically nowadays, write to outwit the audience. <laughs> and I feel like this did that... It didn't outwit the audience, but it subverted expectations in a way that was realistic and could actually happen. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm like, kind of warming up to about it. I think yeah. structurally it's not a great thing for your screenplay, but this is not about structure. This is about making a point and hopefully changing some minds and getting some real change in the world. Yes. So to, to sit here and nitpick the structure seems like, you know, going up to the best dressed man in the world and be like, hey, your socks don't match. <laughs> Not a great comparison, obviously, yeah. but the first thing I came up with. So uh, <laughs> it's a good analogy. But um, um, overall, I really, really liked Promising a Woman. I liked it a lot more than I expected to, honestly. And a lot of that is from the these uh, stylistic choices that yeah. Emerald Fennel, the writer director, did. Yeah, it it feels. I mean, there's there's very little in common between this and Get Out, but it feels like a similar kind of zeitgeist moment. And I really appreciate. How think, how do you mean that? Like, like it's. I, I kind of see what you're saying, yeah. but I kind of want you to elaborate a little more. Yeah, I mean, it's it's taking a sort of horror concept. Maybe not so much here, although there's a little bit of that, and originally was definitely advertised that way. Yeah. And uh, and making it about something, you know, making this about the kind of mundane horror that women have to deal with, and playing that in a very dark comedy. That it, it's it's not really hard drama, but it's not. I 
wouldn't it's really fun. say this is a comedy. There's definitely funny moments, but yes. none of it really made me laugh. No, none of it. Well, none of it really made me laugh. There's a couple of moments when they're having like the meet cute with Bo Burnham's character that that feel like they take place in a different movie entirely. Yeah, in a good way. Like to have yeah. to have Kelly Mulligan have just a moment or two where she's not only devoted to revenge is, is nice. Yes, she like because the. This movie is all about Cassandra. There's not a single scene without her in it. And it's it's nice to see her... It's nice to see a character in their everyday life while doing the plot of the film. Yeah. I remember... This is you know kind of a weird point to make. I remember years and years ago, a friend of mine was telling me about an interview that they had read with Switch, some Christian band. And they had asked, why aren't, why aren't all your songs Christian songs? And they responded... If you're a Christian architect, not all of your buildings are going to be churches. And that's kind of an idea that I've kept in my head, that last mm-hmm. part. Like, you can be something and be something else, but you don't have to be those two things all the time. Yeah. And, you know, you can be a woman on a mission, but you don't have to be on the mission all the time. You can, you know, take time to serve coffee or, you know, hang out with a... With a <laughs> you know, with, you with gotta a have a day job while going yeah. out for revenge. Yeah, and... You gotta fund your revenge. Yes. It's... It's such a, the message is so much more important than, you know, the, the, any nitpicks I might have about the film yeah. that are clearly just, you know, tiny nitpicks about mm-hmm. something that's, that's really, really good and definitely worth seeing. Yeah. Definitely apart, worth going in blind. Apart from those small little character slash actor moments that I thought were a little off, I mm-hmm. thought this movie was extremely solid. There's not a single scene I would cut. And I honestly kind of wish there was an extended version. There, I mean, it's very possible that there there may be. Uh, I don't know anything about because yeah. Carrie uh, Mulligan was awesome, and yes, I I would love to see her continue playing Cassandra in not a different movie, but just a longer version of this story. Yes, I'm not super familiar with her work, which I think is kind of a shame because she's, she's phenomenal. I know her f- mostly from Drive. Oh yeah, she was in Drive. Yeah. She was in uh, Public Enemies, which I didn't really think that highly of. She's in a uh, lot. She's in a Michael Fassbender movie called Shame, which is very good. I should check that out. She's also married to Mumford from Mumford and Sons. Huh. Unrelated, but just you know, kind yeah. of cool little little uh, trivia you can rip, whip out at parties. We're yeah, if, to go if, have parties again. <laughs> don't count on it. <laughs> but yeah, if I see Carrie Mulligan's name on a a one sheet or a poster i'll check it out she's one of my favorite working actresses and i really hope she wins the oscar i'm pulling for her i think it would be really really cool if she wins i don't know exactly uh i've seen most of the films yeah i think she's the only one that i haven't seen their movie actually the only one i haven't seen is uh pieces of a woman the rest of them i've seen and they're all great but Carrie Mulligan is my personal favorite. I think uh, Viola Davis has one. Audra Day will get one eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vanessa Kirby, I'm not as familiar with, but looking over her work, I mean, she will also get one eventually. But I think the mo- I think I most really importantly this- for this year would be Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, I really hope um, this gets you know some Oscar love. I think it really deserves it for sure. It's it's a very poignant film especially nowadays which is like unfortunate that we have to say that but 
hopefully hopefully it gets the traction it deserves and really starts to make a difference because nothing is better than a film that has something to say that actually changes culture. I think it's the one to beat for uh, best screenplay as well. Yeah, despite the, my the script is issues, solid. I think, yeah, despite, despite my minor structural issues with it, I think it's definitely the one to beat. And for better or worse, the Academy often tends to win, tends to give best screenplay awards to really solid movies that are maybe not, you know, the most celebrated thing or the, you know, maybe the thing that should have won best picture, but probably didn't for like political yeah. reasons that they tend to get best uh, screenplay. Like Get Oscars. Out. Exactly. Or um, Jojo Rabbit. Yes. All right, so I think we should wrap up here. Um, which of these two films do you think took the um, revenge on bad man trope better? That's really hard to say because they, despite their tremendous similarities, they do things in a very different way. And I think of the two, the one I think I like honestly more is Promising Young Woman, even though I think as a film I like hard candy more it's, it's hard it's really difficult to discuss that hard candy is much more of a a consequence right now film where yes. promising young woman is a very thought out slow burn we're going to change flick. the system if we can type yes thing. yes where and hard candy is like don't do this because this could happen yes and for better or worse, Hard Candy definitely feels like a movie written and directed by men, whereas Promising Young Woman feels like a movie written and directed by women. Yeah. Hard Candy, it feels, it came out around the height of Saw, and it feels yeah. like, all right, let's make a low-budget torture porn akin to Saw. Where, yes. where they do say some important things, mm-hmm. but at the time, it was less important than it is now. Yes, and... They're both films that feel a little written, although more so Hard Candy feels written. I mean, there's long monologues that feel like they're right from a play. Yeah. Uh, whereas most of the stuff, I think a good performance like Carrie Mulligan's really elevates the material. So it doesn't feel quite so quite so written, which yes. helps. Yeah. Uh, Overall, if, if I had to recommend one of these, I think I would recommend Promising Young Woman. I think so Not, too. Uh, mostly because it's a little more accessible and largely because it has a lot more to say. Yes, it definitely has more to say. It, it does, to a point, offer solutions um, in as much as you can in, you know, 90 minutes. Yes. And... Uh, I think I just really I liked the experience because it really made me think about about things and really kind of look at myself a little bit and um, it's definitely I think worth that even if it is you know slightly heightened reality not to the extent of I think a high watermark is probably Birds of Prey but maybe mm-hmm. a step or two below that. I disagree with that. I don't think it was that height. Like, Birds of Prey is very, very <laughs> Birds of Prey is very heightened. If Birds of Prey is a 10 for heightened reality stylistic films, I would say this is like a 5 or 6. Yeah. It's not I, not nearly as heightened, but there's yeah. definitely some, especially with the colors. Uh, it's I would say definitely to watch again, but. Yeah, it's more suspension of disbelief for me than it is heightened reality. Yeah. 
there's a couple other um i just want to you know give a quick uh you know shout out so to speak to Mm -hmm. a couple other smaller roles in the film of people who normally play much nicer characters and were just kind of really terrible here uh adam brody who we talked about previously on other earlier episodes uh max greenfield who i know from veronica mars was really well known for new girl as this really smiley dude oh yes and he's a very creepy version of himself here and then chris lowell who is also in veronica mars people may know him from from glow and to play really against type for him was, was pretty cool as well yeah um all the male actors in this i think honestly now that we're talking about it i think they did this on purpose they got really likable men male actors and just had them be the complete opposite of how you would expect just the worst version yes and now now that we talk about it i think i kind of like christopher mens plies as his role (laughs) yes now it might be intentional yeah and actually um the guy who's the detective the police detective who you know she ends up talking to what people end up talking to as well is uh I've normally seen him as this really dismissive kind of nasty sort of guy and to have him play a similar version of that but actually turns out to be competent and helpful mm-hmm. is uh, is a pretty cool way to go with that as well. He's he seems like kind of a like a jerk in most things and to have him be actually like the one decent male character aside from Clanky Brown. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, but, uh, um, that's really all I have to say about these two films. Um, I gave my wrap-up thoughts a couple minutes ago. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, I'm sure I'll think of things when <laughs> we're done recording, unfortunately. Yeah. But I really do recommend watching Promising Young Woman you know, as soon as you can get that in front of your eyeballs. And if you can watch Hard Candy... I mean, Hard Candy is a lot harder to watch because it does have scenes of torture. It does have scenes that not quite to the level of Saw, but certainly in that ballpark. And it's the first time I've ever watched this movie by myself. I've watched it with people a couple times before, like 10 years ago. or, or It's been a long time since I've watched it. So it's definitely an intensive viewing experience. Whereas I think Promising Mormon definitely has more constructive things and is way more approachable. And I think in that is definitely the stronger film. Yes. All right, that's all I have to say. Thank you for joining us at The Crossroads, and we'll try to be a little more upbeat next time if we can. See you next week. <laughs>